0: That's a pen method.
1: Hello wrestling fans and welcome to shut up and wrestle an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host Brian R Solomon and this is episode 15 episode 15 of shut up and wrestle and uh, my guest here this week is a fellow pro wrestling illustrated columnist. And the co-host of the Grapsity podcast on Fightful.com, talking about Righteous Reg. And that's a great conversation coming up in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, want to uh, take care of a little business here at the top of the show. Um, have a little update on Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, my biography of the Sheik that I can't stop talking about. Um, This is another uh, step in the process here because the audiobook version, for people that enjoy listening to audiobooks, especially those that are narrated by the author, um, I'm pleased to say that I just put the finishing touches on the Blood and Fire audiobook at the Tantor Media Recording Studio here in Old Saybrook, uh, up a little north from me in Connecticut. And um, they are going to be wrapping that up. And my understanding is that the audiobook will be available by the end of May, I believe. If that changes, of course, um, I will keep everyone updated. Um, also, on the, on the Blood and Fire front, because I am never too proud to correct myself. I want to make mention of something that was brought to my attention by Les Thatcher, of course, uh, former Shut Up and Wrestle guest and uh, pro-wrestling luminary and an all-around brilliant guy who po- uh, pointed out something to me about uh, the book and, and, and kind of a, a mistake in my timeline on the book. So if I ever get a chance to do a revised edition of Blood and Fire, this is something I want to m- uh, fix but I'd, I'd like to just kind of describe this. So um, as a lot of you probably know, Les worked in the uh, office for Georgia Championship Wrestling, was also an announcer uh, down there, especially in uh, the early 70s, right as the glory days of Georgia Championship Wrestling were taking off. And he was reading the book and he pointed out to me that I was just a little bit off on, I think, what the... Um, importance of Jim Barnett was to uh, the very beginning of GCW on cable TV uh, on channel 17 in Atlanta, the superstation. So I mentioned in the book that um, that Barnett was the one who got them on the air on, on um, the future TBS superstation, and that he had really kind of single-handedly turned their fortunes around and that Georgia championship was really, really struggling In the wake of Ray Gunkel, Ray Gunkel dying in the ring, the Booker. Uh, But I was a little bit off there, as as Les points out to me that he went to Atlanta to co-host the show with Gordon Soley and work in the office in mid 1973, and they were already on Turner's Channel 17, and that Barnett did not really come into the picture and didn't buy into the company until later in 1973, and that the company was doing quite well, selling out. Uh, every Friday night. So um, uh, a little bit uh, maybe off in my timeline there. And maybe I gave Jim Barnett a little too much credit, uh, a little more than he deserves. But I wanted to point that out. And thank you, Les, for helping to clarify that. We're going to have to have you back on the uh, show so we can get into that in a little more detail. Uh, One more thing to get to before we get to our fantastic conversation this week. And that is um, the new issue, the June issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, on sale now. Becky Lynch is on the cover. There's a lot of cool stuff in here, particularly um, uh, my stuff, of course, because I enjoy putting myself over. But but even beyond my stuff, uh, there's a great picture in here. You know, Terry Funk recently got the Stanley Weston Lifetime Achievement Award from PWI, and we've got a picture in the magazine of Terry Funk having the plaque hand delivered to him by future Shut Up and Wrestle podcast guest, Rage and Bull, Manny Fernandez. A great, great picture there on page 12 of the magazine. Also, I've got my lockup column, my my monthly column, which this time is all about Cody Rhodes uh, kind of making the jump back to WWE and how he was able to make himself more valuable uh, by the time he spent away from the company and how uh, other wrestlers in the history of WWE have been able to do that and you know, leave the company and come back an even bigger star than they were when they left. So I've got that. And of course, for our purposes here in this very retro podcast that I do, uh, my retro column, my vintage wrestling column in PWI, The Way It Was, that's the name of the column. And in this new June issue, of course, to coincide with the release of my book, the column is all about the original Sheik, Ed Farhad. And it even contains some material – that didn't make it into the book. So you might want to pick that up, the June issue of PWI. You can get it at pwi online.com or get pwi.com And speaking of PWI, uh, I want to take you to the conversation that I did with Righteous Reg, where we talk a whole lot about 90s wrestling. If that's your thing, you're in for a treat this week, um, a little bit of WWF. A little bit of WCW, a lot of ECW. It's a fun conversation, and I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so right now, I would like to welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle. uh, This is a very cool one for me because this is somebody who is a fellow member of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, masthead along with me. um, He is the, if you read PWI, he's the the writer of the Righteous Wrap-Up column every month in there he's also yes. the co-host of uh, uh i hear there's this other podcast out there that that's called the Grapsity podcast um right, right. <laughs> that that he does with Will washington and phil lindsey that's for fightful.com um you might also know him from um the BW500, which tends to sometimes get him celebrated slash vilified, depending on the day of the week.
0: Oh, yeah. But it depends on what day it is, honestly, Brian.
1: <laughs> where um, he ranks the top 500 black wrestlers in the industry, which always makes for a lot of great conversation. Um, so he's, in addition to being a writer, he's also a rapper. So I'm going to mention um, his website, which is righteousreg.bandcamp.com. Did I get that right? Yes, that's and now perfect. Because you're getting into... Um, uh entrance music now for AEW, right? I mean, yes, I'm you're... slowly,
0: slowly crawling towards some uh dreams I've been trying to achieve for a really long time is like right. having a prominent theme for a wrestler in a big wrestling company. That's just like when you make music and you've been a pro wrestling fan for so long, those things just go hand in hand. So
1: yeah, slowly getting into that. And by the way, since I didn't even say your name yet, it's Righteous Reg. Righteous, Righteous Reg, Reg is my guess. Yes.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brian. This is super cool. And hey, congrats on your book. Uh, a lot of fanfare. A lot of people are very excited about what you did in that book. So that's awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Right now, it's just an issue of figuring out why Amazon is not ordering more copies. We're in the middle <laughs> of trying to work that out.
0: <laughs> like, hey, people want to buy my book. Help me out here.
1: Right. <laughs> I mean, I've been selling them myself, but I mean, I'm just one person. I'm not a warehouse. And
0: yes, you're not Amazon. (laughs) Yeah,
1: because like people and, and then I get people that are. That think like I made the book myself or something because people right. will be like, "Where's my book?" They're they're emailing me like, "What? How? Where? When is my book going to get here?" And I'm going, "They're I, like, get know.
0: down in your basement, Brian, right. and create some more with your you know dark room and all this." Like, no, it's there's a process to this. I didn't just. <laughs> I,
1: I know. I think. I think some people do think that I just made it in my basement like I just printed it out and like stapled it together like I'm just the writer you know I don't know like you went to
0: Etsy and you got all these little secrets of like how to design books and not like no that's crazy what are these people
1: thinking (laughs) I don't know I mean you know I it's a good problem I have like I always say but I get the frustration of people that you know some people pre-ordered it months ago and I feel bad because I was always telling people pre-order pre-order and now Mm -hmm. like some of them haven't gotten it yet. So we are like, working. We're still on waiting that.
0: for it. It's like me with my PWI magazines in the last couple of months. Kevin, still waiting on them.
1: Right. Son of a God. Two, two <laughs> issues. We've got oh, two issues rough. just kind of floating in limbo. They're in the cloud somewhere. <laughs> the best part is for the June. Oh, Kevin's going to love this. We're kind of roasting him a little. But for the June issue, which is the second of the two that's missing. Mm-hmm. I wrote my whole thing about the chic because I wanted to tie it into the book with coming the book. out. Right, yeah. And you know what? Maybe by the time the magazine actually comes out, uh, the book will be more available. Right, so, everybody's
0: going to be printing and pressing and sending things out at some point right. from someplace.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> so wait, so I just want to say, before we get to what we wanted to talk about today with the with the entrance music, because I just think yeah. it's so cool. Powerhouse Hobbs, right? That, that's, uh, have. is that the only one for now or are there other ones that you're on Yeah, that's
0: the only one for now the the one that i did a part of the who we are album the right. celebration of black wrestlers i also did one for jade cargill but like her theme will never be attached to that like she needs a theme and this was just right. like more like a personal thing yeah for, but it kind of ended up being like that for both of them kind of like a more personal like here's uh an appreciation to you
1: type deal. but the one the the hobbs one is the one they actually play when he comes out right i mean well, no, they only played it a couple times on Dark. Um, oh, because I did it hear on Dynam- it. Yeah, that must yeah. have been where I heard it. I maybe I heard yeah. it on Dark then. Okay, yeah. so um, all right. So we are. This is going to be a good one because we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of the people who listen to this were actually alive at the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a lot of times, the things <laughs> I talk about are are pretty old. So we're we're gonna we're gonna focus on nineties wrestling today the best and uh, you know a lot of people love 90s wrestling I always feel like if you're if you're talking old school wrestling like 90s is as new as you could get until it's not old school anymore like you well, know what I, I mean what, Like,
0: like that even sounds weird here and you call 90s wrestling old school because that's like that's my generation of wrestling I that's know. not
1: old school old school is like the
0: 60s and the 70s stuff
1: it feels weird to <laughs> me like I wouldn't say like Cena is not old school but you know, eventually he will on the
0: line. Yeah. He's still on the line. He's almost there.
1: And I mean, like, I even remember because you're talking about like when stuff gets older and you realize like, it's not, it's kind of old school. I remember when people started calling um, the undertaker old school, for example. Right. And I'm just like, Oh my God, wait a minute. Cause at the time I was just like, that was just 10 years ago. Cause even like by 2000, they were calling him. Because when
0: they continue to sell, we were celebrating them like every 10 years. And you'd be like, it hasn't been that long. And they'd be like, no, it's been 10 years. And then the next time, no, it's been 20 years now. And it's like, right know, now it's been 30 years. Like these Just, years go by so quickly. And it's weird to to think about. It's crazy.
1: Well, the way that I tell is and it's funny, I may have said this before, but like I think back on like when I was a kid and or even a teenager and I would mm-hmm. buy old wrestling magazines like I would find right. these old ones and I'd be like oh my god I would act like I found like the Dead Sea Scrolls or something and I'm thinking mm-hmm. now let's say it's like 1994 right and I found this wrestling magazine that's like from 1974 right. Um that's just a 20 year old magazine that's not right. really like that yeah, would be exactly. like if I found a magazine from 2002 now uh, right.
0: and like they were just celebrating with the 25th anniversary of barely legal. And I'm like, no way, dude. Like that was just yesterday there. There's no way that this ECW pay-per-view happened so long ago, but it's been 25 years. There's a bunch of people that follow me that like they got into wrestling in 2014 and 2017. So this is like ancient to them, right? which is funny enough, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, um, I mean, yeah, right. A- April 1997, barely legal, right? Yep. Yep. That was when it happened um well they always say that the audience the wrestling audience cycles right. like every every seven years i think i don't know who came up with that number but i always heard it was like every set like every in every seven year period mm-hmm. there's like a, a, i don't know how it works like a majority of the audience like more than half of the audience only started watching within the last seven years oh, Right.
0: I, can, I see i see it a lot on yeah. twitter like a lot so it makes a lot of sense and I mean, I guess coming up, that's kind of the same thing. There were people that were like into when I'm in high school, there's a lot of people into it. And then just like a year later, no one's into it. So it's like, yeah, these cycles, like they change pretty quickly within pro wrestling.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so you mentioned barely legal, which is good. It's perfect. It's a good segue because I want to I do want to talk about ECW because it's funny to me now. We're talking about 90s wrestling. Right. And I asked you ahead of time, like, what would you like to talk about? And so, you know, there was this company in the 90s that was doing mm-hmm. wrestling. They were called the World Wrestling Federation. I think uh, I, heard, I don't know. Heard of them. I've never
0: heard of them. Not me. Not, not but me. so <laughs> when I talked to you,
1: you were like, let's talk about ECW and WCW. Yes. Right? <laughs> Which is fine. That's fine by me. Specifically. By <laughs> me. Right. But so when did you uh, get into it? Because you are you originally from California or? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You- I've originally uh, grew up in Bakersfield, California, a very awful place now. I hate going there. I'm (laughs) actually on my way there uh, tomorrow to see my mom, funny enough. But yeah, Bakersfield, California, wrestling. I was actually just thinking about this because there's a bunch of those on Twitter, like history of blah, blah, blah. And they give up events of times. And I was trying to think of the first time that I went to a show and I think the first time I ever went to a show was in 1994 it was a WWF house show at the the college in Bakersfield and so the main event was Razor Ramon and Diesel always remember because I had I've got like a one of the belts the little foam belts and I was just yelling at Razor and Diesel to look at my belt for so long and their match, and they're like they're not paying attention they have a match but I just remember that moment so like vividly just being like pro wrestling so yeah 90s and then they were always, as we know, Monday Night War. So WWF was always telling us to go watch WCW. I think they had a lot; they played a big role in me knowing about WCW. If they would have never, you know, had this beefs, I would have never, you know, wanted to switch over and see what they had going on over there. So them constantly being like, "We're the best," "We're this," "We're there's no other companies," and then WCW being like, "We're the big boys play," "We're this and this," and there's this thing. So it, uh, I eventually got into wcw probably around i remember seeing stuff in 1993 i remember the whole cactus jacket uh uh, angle where he you know has vader yeah the vader angle he gets powerbombed on the concrete like that's probably like the first memory i really have of wcw (laughs) i don't know why i hung on after that but now i remember the brutal their match and just being like the one that they had at halloween havoc vader drops uh cactus off his back and they yeah the big splat and I just remember being like well these guys are really cool so but still like that whole amount of time I was just so hardcore into WWF that I didn't even I didn't really give them a chance that's until I saw ECW I guess when I got a little bit older um you know likes and things changed I became a teenager so wanted to get a little bit more in my wrestling fandom and so when they I think my first memory with them is comes from wrestling magazines, honestly, the wrestler and things like that. They would show the rankings in the back and there'd be like a picture of like bloody Tommy Dreamer or like when Tommy Dreamer got his growing smashed with the with the cinder block and they'd be showing things like that. So I'd have that memory. And I remember one time being awake like really late, maybe one or two AM and catching like an episode of ECW randomly and being like, What's this? I just didn't really. It, it was so late and, you know, little kids that just didn't really register to me. But then finally, when they came to WWF and they did the crossover thing promoting Barely Legal, then I was like, wow. And then when I saw Barely Legal, it was like my mind was blown.
1: So I want to I, I want to talk about that. But before I do, when you mentioned Cactus Jack and mm. Vader, I have to tell I have a funny story about that because because mm. I, re- I was in college at that time when that mm. was happening. That's like 93, right? Yeah, 93. 93. And um, so, my my girlfriend at the time, who you know, I was trying to. I, at first, I didn't even want her to know I was a wrestling fan. I was yeah, just,
0: no way, not in college. No, I was no
1: embarrassed, way. and <laughs> yeah. I went. In fact, I went to the first Monday Night Raw at the Manhattan Center.
0: Wow, in '93, that's a throwback right there.
1: Yes, and I had just started dating her for like a month or two, and I didn't tell her where I was going. I was embarrassed. <laughs> And then I got on television, of a, course, with a sign. Now, of course, she wasn't <laughs> watching, so she didn't know. But I started <laughs> to like funny. slowly, like try to be like, hey, you want to watch wrestling with me like is that? Mm-hmm. OK. And I remember we watched WCW Saturday night and they had the thing with Vader doing mm-hmm. that. And so he power bombs Cactus Jack on the floor. Cactus Jack is like almost, almost dead. Right. They yeah. Carry him out. He's, like, destroyed, you know, and they really sold it so seriously. And then the announcers, like, for the next couple of weeks are, like, giving updates about his health. Yeah, it was serious. <laughs> my girlfriend was distraught. And, I mean, she was. we were, like, 17, 18 years old. Right. But- I didn't have the heart. Like, I didn't want to totally smarten her up. I actually thought it was kind of cute that she was, right. so, yeah, she well, was really, <laughs> she was concerned like really badly. In fact, this is, I'm getting embarrassed to say, but like, she told me one night, she told me that she was praying for Cactus oh Jack. My God. And I still didn't say anything. But then, you still, no, no,
0: so still with the cafe, Brian. I, I appreciate did, it. I really but, appreciate it.
1: But then, if you remember after that, They started doing those really goofy. It was silly. They went so silly. Right. Where he's like living on the streets and like Mm. the the reporter finds him. And it's so obviously. He's in a wheelchair. Like It's so silly. He can't remember. He has amnesia. And my girlfriend, she didn't get mad at me, but she got mad. Like she felt manipulated. She was betrayed. Right. She was like, oh, this is. This is ridiculous. It's like I, when
0: I watched the, uh, the NBC special, the, the, when they exposed wrestling, I felt upset probably for that night. I was like, wow, they really like, I've been watching. I don't even remember when that special came out. I had been watching wrestling for uh, 10 years at least. And I was kind of like, there's I had always been family members that were like, they'd whisper, whisper it to me like, Hey, you know, it's fake or, you know, it's th-, and then like, you know, but you just blow them off. I mean, like, shut up. No one really cares. And, um, When I saw that special, I was like, wow, they really like this is really a uh, they really like, you know, got over on people like for that night. I felt like that. But then the next day, it actually made me appreciate pro wrestling more, which is funny enough. I was like, wow, what they're doing is actually super cool. They're talking to each other and they're doing these things and all this. this." So like it really flipped the script. But for that moment, I was really upset. I was like, I can't believe this. This is all been a sham this whole time but it's totally not a sham that's just it's silly to think about now
1: well yeah because they're <laughs> trying to expose something that like especially well because you were a kid at the time so you mm-hmm. were probably a little less clued in but I don't think there were a lot of like hugely shocking secrets that were given away in that right thing. but my favorite part of that special for people that know it exposing wrestling's pro, uh, uh, secrets or whatever mm-hmm. is they have Harley race, you remember that? Harley race, and yeah. He's, he's in He's in silhouette. And so you can't see his face, <laughs> and and they don't give his name, oh, and he's man. just like, "Let me tell you about the secrets of pro wrestling," and you're going mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I wonder who this is." Not I definitely not who... Harley
0: Race. I can't right. see that curly afro, Harley Race. I see that, dude. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think the biggest issue is they were aiming for like it was ten years too late. Like the content that they were aiming for was like, "Okay, everybody already knows these secrets." Right. It's like 1999, dude. But if they did this in 89 it would have changed the game but well because they was already was, moved um, in by
1: then because i think they even talked about blading didn't they and that special? they did mm-hmm. so because you know as you probably know like in the there was a big expose like in the 80s like you were saying mm-hmm. like 10 years before that where um god someone's gonna correct me i think it was like on 2020 or 60 mm-hmm. minutes or something where they had um is that the dr d slap one uh, the same I think, expose or different I think that might have been part of it. Okay. But the wrestler who was exposing it. Oh my God. I should have like done my homework. I know the guy's name and it's on the tip of my tongue, but there was a wrestler who was basically, he was blacklisted. This was a guy uh-huh. that he couldn't get any work and he was like bitter, you know? Yeah. And so, so he, he went
0: to the news to be like, I'll yes. tell you all the secrets.
1: <laughs> and he bladed on camera, like on wow. television, he showed wow. them, did it and the whole thing. But like, that was so that was 10 years before this thing, right? So that it was sort of like, uh, kind of a joke, you know? Yeah, but, um, oh, but it's so kind of back- how
0: wrestling fans are they just are like, okay, who cares? Like, um, yeah, right. It's a show.
1: <laughs> by that point, yeah, a lot of fans by that point were like, all right, and you know, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I had somebody, so I'm selling these books, these autographed books, and mm-hmm. I had someone come to my house today, and he doesn't listen to this, so it's okay. <laughs> he came to my house to buy one in person, right? Oh, wow. Because to, to, he li- he's, he's in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And he goes to me. Now, now, keep in mind, he knows me. He knows what I do. Mm-hmm. He knows what I'm involved in. He knows what this book is about. He comes over and he goes, um, yeah, you know, because I'm like, who should I make it out to? Should I make it out to you? He's mm-hmm. like, no, it's from my brother. He's like, you know what? I used to like wrestling when I was a kid. He still likes it now. But I I, I just... You know, no offense. I just think it's scripted garbage. <laughs> I'm like, thanks a lot. All right. Here's your freaking book. Cool. Get out of, here get you, out of my here, house. You here know, Here
0: you go, dude. Thanks. <laughs> In
1: my head, I'm thinking like, so scripted garbage. Do you say that about other TV shows and movies nope, definitely that they're not. scripted garbage? You know, and
0: some wrestling is, though, he's kind of he's partially
1: right, I guess. So. Well, some of it is garbage, <laughs> but not because it's scripted. It's garbage yeah, exactly, right. for other it's reasons.
0: Garbage for other reasons. Very much so.
1: So, OK, so with the WCW thing, to get back mm-hmm. to that, because you were saying what, like 94, Yeah, w- which was right around when I first found it, too. But mm-hmm. where were you seeing it? Because I know in New York it was on um, Channel 30. No, God, I think it was on the M- MSG network, I mm-hmm. think, in New York City. But I also think it was on some like UHF channel or something. But mm-hmm. uh, but I, I always I thought it was pretty local by that point. I didn't know that it was getting out to where you were.
0: Yeah. And no, I, I I had cable. So it was uh TBS was available and we got. Oh, OK, uh, I think we got the two weekend shows: Saturday night and then Sunday shows main event. Maybe. No, I'm.
1: I'm talking about ECW.
0: Oh, ECW. ECW. No, ECW yeah. was just tapes at that point. Oh, okay. Everything okay. that I knew of ECW was tapes. Um, when I saw that uh, one night late thing that I don't even know what that could have been. Honestly, that was some local network. I don't know. Yeah. 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 When I got into it, it was mostly getting
1: tapes from random kids in school. That's amazing because I um, I just stumbled onto it like mm-hmm. it was coming on at like 1230 in the morning or something on on msg network Mm -hmm. Uh, and um you know i remember i think i had just like fallen asleep in front of the tv i don't even know what i was watching and i opened my eyes and i'm just like what the hell what point in your
0: in your fandom is this uh how many years in do you think you've been I, how how much, how did it, how much did it blow your mind is what I'm trying to get to.
1: (laughs) I started watching wrestling like really closely right around Mm -hmm. the time of WrestleMania three. So like 87. So I've been watching wrestling for like about six or seven years. years. Yeah. And I had just gotten cable. I didn't get cable until 92. Mm -hmm. So pre 92, all I really knew was WCW. Like, I'm sorry, WWF. Mm -hmm. unless i'd seen it in magazines right right but then i had just started getting into wcw and then to be honest you're a little younger than me so i don't know what Mm -hmm. your perspective was but like by 94 the those two companies especially wwf Mm -hmm. it was starting to get kind of lame like i almost Mm -hmm. felt like i'm getting too old for this like this is just for really little kids like Mm -hmm. there's a a, there's a clown running around and like a guy, you know, like who's a tax collector and an an Indian. And I'm just like, yeah, I feel like this is really taken like a kiddie turn. And then ECW, the thing that got me was it was the first time I ever felt like wrestling was not insulting my intelligence. Mm -hmm. Like it was like and I didn't know at the time all the workings of it, but it was like Paul Heyman. Who's this lifelong wrestling fan, right? And Todd Gordon too, as well, mm-hmm. but but mainly Heyman because he was kind of booking it even when he wasn't the total the sole owner, right? You know he had this vision of of like, I am gonna run a wrestling promotion that gives these hardcore wrestling fans the things they actually want, the exact things. That they're frustrated that the big companies aren't giving them like that sounds was his-
0: very familiar sounds yes. so familiar this <laughs> sounds, sounds like something that uh-huh. i something going on currently this sounds very familiar but yeah that's exactly what it was and a funny story i remember in school this was probably sixth grade i was one of the wrestling kids in school and so a kid comes up to me one day And he's like, he knows I'm the wrestling kids in school. He's like, I don't really like WWF, but you know, I do like ECW because that's real. And I remember (laughs) that sticking in my brain being like, this kid must really know what's up. Like he knows that. And so I think prior to really discovering ECW, I had that notion that like shit was real over there. So I wanted to, I wanted to see it. And then when I saw it, I was like, whoa, it's really crazy over there. There's tables and there's fire and there's barbed wire. There's like
1: all kinds of crazy stuff. I know. I'm trying to think of the one of the first things I saw, because uh, when I first started w- catching it, mm-hmm. it was right after the thing with Shane Douglas t- throwing mm-hmm. down the NWA title belt. And mm-hmm. when they started calling it extreme, Right. it was right after that. So the first thing I really have a vivid memory of is they were talking about Chris Benoit mm-hmm. breaking Sabu's neck, mm-hmm. which is how he got to be called the crippler.
0: The crippler. Yeah.
1: And I'm like, and it was one of those moments. I'm not a little kid. I'm, you know, what am I like 19 or something, but I'm going like, is this real? Like, is right. are they doing like partially real stuff? Because, mm-hmm. His neck really was broken. Like, oh, well, like he really read, had a broken
0: neck. Yeah. You could see the video. That's very disgusting.
1: <laughs> he did and because they kept showing it a million times. So
0: man, I've seen it five million times at this point.
1: <laughs> and you know what got me about you know what got me about it too. And then of course, this is one of those things that the company started copying. Was mm-hmm. it was the first place because you're like now you watch Raw, you watch Dynamite, but like mainly mm. on the WWE shows, and a wrestler will just get in the ring with a microphone and just talk. Yeah, for like 10 minutes or whatever. And just like from his heart, like Mm -hmm. directly to the audience, there's no interviewer or anything. And he's talking about like these kind of like work shoot things Mm -hmm. that did not happen before ECW. Like oh, at all, man. it really, it really didn't happen, especially it wasn't mm-hmm. happening in the WWF. No, and I remember seeing these guys. They remember the thing they would do where they wouldn't do it in the ring because that mm-hmm. audience, they were just animals. They wouldn't. Yeah, no, they you, wouldn't if, you, if
0: you get into the ring, you had to have right. something for them.
1: <laughs> they would have them in the back because like Foley, the ones he did were like legendary. They'd mm-hmm. have them in the back. They'd have the camera like right on their face and now that I think about it, I think sometimes it was because they might not have had enough content to fill the whole hour. Yeah. But like you would have Honestly. like Shane Douglas or 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 Mick Foley or mm. or you know anybody or Taz just talk yeah. and or like um, Austin when he was there for a little mm-hmm. bit and it just felt like even though I mean they were still working obviously but it felt real it felt like it they were really real. talking they mm. were talking about their career and like their right. real lives. And, and Austin just,
0: was talking about his old company, like they didn't talk about where they came from and who right. they hated in the old companies before right. ECW, like as loud as that on TV and stuff. So, yeah, it was it was Uh, I think catching I've been catching up on a lot of ECW TVs and they do a lot of stuff to fill time, like you're saying, like <laughs> there's a lot of extra promos They that that Pulp Fiction style. Let's. <laughs> promote the show that they they go pretty heavy on them they were trying to fill a lot of stuff Paul Heyman's very creative mind and the music
1: yeah the music's
0: amazing that's what I like about having the I don't I don't watch it on the network I have like some hard drive stuff and it's just like the music makes it so much better just they had a lot of a lot of great hip-hop that I really did not like now I'm going back I'm like wow these the soundtrack was awesome they had a lot of great stuff going on here
1: It covers up some of the shortcomings like I find that I find when I watch it when I do watch it on the network now or on Peacock it's not always as great as I remember because Mm -hmm. without the music it loses a lot. It does
0: it changes so it changes the whole thing about ECW like the music was so important to the identity of. All the wrestlers had certain music attached to them. The ECW brand was just music. If you watch the ECW TV show, it's music, music, music. If there's not a match, there's music happening. If there's a promo happening, there's music in the background. Like, I love the way that they put together their shows.
1: What about New Jack? I mean, he or we know the music, the music would play Mm -hmm. through the
0: whole match.
1: It would just keep playing until, you know, still
0: on an unprecedented thing. No wrestler even does that now. He right was the guy that would do that. His ice cube and Dr. Dre natural born killers would play the entire match. There'd be ruckus chaos tables, trash cans, guitars, all kinds of crazy stuff, man.
1: (laughs) That is one of the greatest just entrances, his entrance Mm -hmm. ever. And what I love too, like you were saying the trash cans and the tables, Mm -hmm. like these were things that everybody started copying. Yes. But they did it in like this Phony, it hokey was not way like 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 Sabu mm-hmm. would bring the damn table to the ring with him, public enemy right. too. Mm-hmm. That they would they would carry the ring. I mean, the tables, so you would go, like, all right, well, that's why the table's there. It wasn't yeah. like now where they just reach under the ring and there's right, like, like you know, I love thousand tables. Right. I love AEW. I really do. I enjoy it a lot, but you know, they'll reach under the ring. And they'll be like a piece of plywood with mousetraps on it. And I'm going like, okay, (laughs) all right, come on. How did that get there now? Wait
0: a minute. Okay, so Brian (laughs) Solomon did not like what I like to call the jackass death match. I loved it. No, (laughs) no, I loved
1: it. See, I'm a very complicated person. I'm a very complicated person. I just
0: want to make sure that's my match of the year. I like to say that out loud. That was a great contest. I
1: thought it was one of the highlights (laughs) of night two of WrestleMania. Really was yeah, it was awesome. But so here's how I explain that because people because you're not the first person who was like, mm-hmm. you you like that. I didn't think you were going to like that. Here's here's why. And here's the difference. Did you notice they also had the the mouse traps on the thing? Yeah. But I felt like they were by putting it in that ridiculous match, mm-hmm. they were making fun of how AEW, exactly. AEW used it in like a main event match. And mm-hmm. so for me, like that's the difference for me. Like I loved all that stuff. The giant hand. I'm gonna be mm-hmm. thinking about that probably for the rest of my that life. That was
0: awesome. They picked the perfect guy to be in that match too. Awesome.
1: But here's the, th- yeah, he's the. Sami Zayn is the most legitimately, truly funny person in wrestling. Like Definitely. a lot of wrestling that's supposed to be funny is not really funny. But mm-hmm. he he's actually funny. But um, that the like if they had done the giant hand. Mm-hmm. in the Roman Reigns <laughs> match yeah. I would not be happy. See, that's the difference, right? Now that's you understand. See the difference. That's if Roman would have
0: used the big hand on Brock, though, that would have been hilarious. I'm not going to say I wouldn't so have upset. left
1: <laughs> I'm not going to say I wouldn't have left But I would have been like, all right, this is stupid.
0: Come on, you guys, you can't.
1: <laughs> Cuz it's like that stuff is good. It serves a purpose. It's in its place, like Right. you don't want, you know, some stuff just just doesn't belong in, in the more I serious matches. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. anyway, but yeah, so like ECW, they were doing it in this natural, organic way. Mm-hmm. It all made sense. Like even when they would do, you know, fans bringing weapons themselves, right? right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to come up with excuses to use whatever they wanted to use. Right.
0: And also saving a lot of money. Like, you know, have the fans bring the weapons. We don't have <laughs> to pay for stop signs and chairs and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, great idea. And I've heard stories that there was like a dollar store or something next door to, the ECW arena and people would just go and just get all the stuff. Just sound like a crazy time. I wish I could go back. If I had a time machine, I would go back to 1996 ECW and just be in it. (laughs) Did you ever, did
1: you ever get to go? No, no, I did.
0: You did. You did to the ECW arena.
1: Yes. And my, my, it involves my poor college girlfriend. This is the same. There she goes.
0: She brought it back around. I love it. (laughs) The same girl that was
1: praying for Cactus Jack, I found. I ordered tickets. You kept her. (laughs) Yeah, it was November to remember ninety five. Okay, so it was the night. It was like Austin's last night before he went to the WWF. That's the night
0: where uh, Sabu was supposed to be there, but he didn't show up. So they buried him on the mic. No,
1: no, no, no. That's the night where he came back.
0: Oh, he came back. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, he came. The lights went off. Which is where oh, the think,
0: infamous, uh, yep. yeah,
1: yeah, I love it. And that's a great it was, moment. It was that night. It was, mm-hmm. uh, the main event was, um, that's where they had Sandman versus Mikey Whipwreck, mm-hmm. and Terry Funk was there. They had Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis, Mexican mm-hmm. death match. I, I, I hope I'm remembering all these matches right. I think it was the last, it was the farewell of Public Enemy. I think mm. they maybe they wrestled the Eliminators, like it was the heyday of ECW. Yeah and i just remember so this poor this poor woman you she took became, her to a wild
0: place too she
1: she became my wife and she is no longer and i don't know if it's because <laughs> of that if she remembered all the stuff i put her through but i don't usually praying get so for... i don't usually get so personal on the show but praying uh, for
0: cactus jack that's a, that's one to remember i swear that's we were hilarious. living
1: in um in Brooklyn. That's where I'm from. And Mm. so we drove all the way out to Philadelphia. It's not a short trip. It's like Mm -hmm. it was like three, four hours or something. I don't know. And um, we got there and, you know, it's that bingo hall, Swanson Mm -hmm. and Rittner. And and, you know, in those days, in that arena, it was it was very old school in the sense that they were all regulars, like Mm -hmm. everybody knew, especially this is like pre cable, pre pay per view. They the were all just,
0: guy and the yeah. Sign guy, yeah, yeah,
1: they were all just like South Philly degenerates, you know, mm-hmm. And I walked in there with, you know, this this beautiful girl, and I'm like nineteen years old. We're both kids. No one knows who we are. And it was like walking into the cantina scene in Star Wars, you know, <laughs> And she was horrified, horrified. Yes, I could imagine and I sat down. I remember like, no one wanted to let us <laughs> sit because everybody oh had their own god. seats. Oh my god! Wow. And so it was hostile. It was. And long story short, uh, she made us leave in the middle of the show. Oh wow!
0: So you I missed.
1: missed I missed Austin. I missed Terry Funk. Oh, I missed no. Mikey Whipwreck and Sandman. Oh. I did get to see Sabu come back because that was in mm-hmm. the middle of the show. But but she was just like halfway through she was like i can't do this we gotta go oh
0: no ecw i mean i understand it's (laughs) it's insane if you watch the shows you could see it you're like no these guys are crazy when they go and brawl into the crowd it's like someone's gonna die out here it's crazy
1: (laughs) right and i remember actually what what happened was at that show was the i think it was the show after Mm -hmm. The one where there was like a table on fire. Do you know what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about? Like, it was a pretty infamous thing. Like Terry Funk was involved. Somebody got pretty badly burned. Mm -hmm. There was a table that went on fire or it was like a bigger fire than they wanted. Yeah. And I remember the crowd at one point is chanting, we want fire. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what did I get myself that's into? Smoke,
0: that's as insane as, in, as it gets. Like, at, they're yeah. never chanting this at a WWF show. Never in life. I mean, right, eventually right. they did. But, like,
1: well, could you imagine? Because, you know, what started in ECW2 was mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. Like, the crowd chants. Like, those really, mm-hmm. like smart ass crowd chants like before right. ecw you know like they would chant like the name of the wrestler mm-hmm. or like if they're in the corner they would do like one two yeah. three you know like things like that nothing let's really... go
0: Brett that was my yeah. thing
1: <laughs> but in ecw they're doing you know that's where they started doing the you know like uh those like hockey chants or soccer yeah. chants whatever you want to call it where it's just like you know, da, na, 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 clap, clap, yeah. clap, 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 clap. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all from ECW. Like, I remember for, poor Francine. They would do. She's oh, she
0: a, got a, so awful. <laughs>
1: she's a crack whore. Yeah. Like that. But think about this. That's when <laughs> WWF is doing like Duke the Dumpster Drosie, right, you know? In the and, and they're talking about crack whores and like all these, mm. the, what a, all the, even like you, you effed up and mm-hmm. you know, all those kind of like the, the stuff of the, the crowd trying to like take over the show. Right. yeah That was ECW. That
0: originated there. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned the WWF stuff. And when you kind of started feeling like it was for kids and I was a kid, but like, I think around 95 when they brought in the goon and Kane as Isaac Yankum, I was like, I don't really know what's going on here. You guys, like I was a huge Bret Hart fan. So like, I wanted to see him against some viable opponents, but they just never really
1: gave right. too many. So, yeah,
0: yeah he was, was great.
1: Rough. He he was my favorite. You know, Bret Hart yeah. was my favorite, especially in that time period. And, like, mm-hmm. every now and then he would get to be in there with somebody that, you know, deserved to be in there with him. Right. And, and would be, like, the match with 123 Kid on Raw is mm-hmm. incredible. Anything with Shawn Michaels. Um right. Even you know what was great. Who was great with him was Hakushi. Do you oh, remember the
0: Hakushi match is
1: amazing? Yeah, I love that match. So un- underrated, you know, because yeah. it was it was mixed in with all these other. You know, it like- was at a
0: time when things were bleak. It was rough for WWF. Nineteen ninety five, like oh, like there was not a lot of things holding it together. They were trying to get Diesel over as the guy, and his mm-hmm. matches were
1: just bad i i I wanted that to work i I really did i remember thinking i liked him he was like
0: such he had charisma like he was you know you wanted him to win but it's just like as soon as the matches started when the bell rang as they said it was just like
1: yeah because i remember going like this is different you know Mm -hmm. this is something different who who would have thought especially because at that time you know, who would have thought that it would be Shawn Michaels' bodyguard right. is now a bigger star than Shawn Michaels, which yeah, he was, was for like a year, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm sure they didn't bank on that one. They just kind of no. looked out. And Shawn Michaels is the one that, well, he says that recommended Nash to come over. So very cool of right. him.
1: Look at that. <laughs> right. And yeah, that I mean, you know, it, I remember they had Brett feuding with Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? They, who they was... stole
0: his jacket and everything else.
1: <laughs> who was car nice. you know quebecer pierre who's now of course pco is like mm-hmm. incredible but like that was one of those moments it was definitely one of that that jean pierre lafitte with the jacket where i'm just mm-hmm. like why am i watching this what am i yeah. doing i mm-hmm. remember him cutting a promo uh, these weird things you remember with in wrestling mm-hmm. it's jean pierre lafitte and he's cutting a promo like introducing his character and he's just like i am the greatest pirate of all time mm-hmm. and i'm going like why do I uh, care about that?
0: Yeah, no, I cannot
1: care about this. You're this the is greatest awful. pirate of all time. It, Why know, did it's... they
0: keep trying to get pirates over? They just, <laughs> they never stopped for so long. I'm surprised they finally stopped. They might, do they have a pirate?
1: They might well, kind of commit, consider Drew Mack to be one. I don't know. Well, P- P- Paul <laughs> Burchill, I couldn't believe they were still doing a pirate gimmick right. when I was working at WWE. Yeah, exactly. He used to come at, down on the little rope and things. Yeah, he, well, so right, silly. like. And I'm like pirates. I guess they they were. Tra- that was like the time of Pirates of the Caribbean.
0: Yeah, but it, no one wanted that.
1: I'm not justifying it. But I was like,
0: yeah.
1: why are we still doing pirates? What are we doing mm-hmm. here? You know? Yeah. The funny thing is, you know, every time my wife, who is, you know, different person, mm-hmm. and she, she, you know, tolerates my, my, my wrestling. <laughs> she didn't pray for Cactus addiction. Jack in 1993. No, not someone who ever <laughs> prayed for Cactus Jack. No, she, she's... I remember like what she'll always say when Roman Reigns is on TV is she'll Mm -hmm. always be like, this guy looks like he should be in a pirate movie. Like he would be (laughs) the most perfect pirate ever.
0: Roman's on his way. Uh, Randy Orton just said that Uh, Roman's out of here. So I guess, you know, he could be in a pirate movie pretty soon.
1: Wasn't that a weird thing? I don't, I mean, not to get all hung up on modern wrestling, but wasn't that a Mm -hmm. weird thing that he said for people that may not have seen Randy Orton. He said something like, because I know because Randy Orton's big thing now is he wants to be like the longest running WWE yeah. superstar. He's like, ever. I'm
0: here to stay.
1: <laughs> right. He's got like <laughs> 10 years till he hits The Undertaker. <laughs> but he was talking about, you know, John Cena's gone, The Rock's gone, and he was predicting like Roman Reigns is going to be gone and I will still be here. And in the back of my head, I'm kind of thinking like, I don't know if you want to be bragging about. That.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, I don't really know if that's the humble brag that you're trying to go for. It's, it's an interesting take. Yeah, yeah, you are going to be like, okay, yeah. Have fun. Dolph Ziggler's going to be there too. What does that mean? I don't know.
1: Right. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if he'll still be there, but he won't be in movies. Um, <laughs> but I, so, oh, you know what I want to mention too, because we're we're talking about the music thing. So mm-hmm. this is something that. I'm guessing you must have noticed, too, like what I because, you know, WWF in the old days, in the Mm -hmm. 80s. Right. When entrance music first started getting big, they were using real songs like Hulk Hogan had Eye of the Tiger when he first Mm -hmm. started. And like Junkyard Dog, the most famous one was like another one bites the dust, like, you know. And but then they started like going like, well, we want to own all the music, so we're going to write these corny like themes that it sounds kind of <laughs> like another song or whatever. Right. And so then you have- is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so like,
1: Oh, uh, wow. I just did. I was at a book signing last weekend for the book for my mm-hmm. book. And I look across the hall and at the table directly across from me, it's doink and dink.
0: <laughs> and I
1: mean like the actual dink, the real guy, Tiger Jackson, and the real Doink, not Matt Bourne, of course, but, yes. but Ray Apollo who mm-hmm. took over like the Second actual doink. doink and Dink. are sitting. When,
0: when Doink became face and they went yeah. over the top with the silliness, they were pink just,
1: and like, wink and. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness.
0: The silliest.
1: Yeah. But oh, so where, where was I going with that? Oh, so like they would do those music videos in ECW. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, my God. So the one, cool. The one I will never forget was um, Mikey Whipwreck and the Sandman mm-hmm. and the song was uh, Weezer uh, Say It Ain't So. Mm-hmm. And it was all about like how, you know, if you remember the angle, like say it was when Sandman was caning him and like mm-hmm. he was like torturing him and abusing him. And Mikey Whipwreck is like this total like geek. And he's trying mm-hmm. to like get out from under the Sandman's like persecution. Right. And they're playing this song. And I'm like, my brain exploded Mm -hmm. because I'm just going like wrestling doesn't do things that don't do this. But but like, this is actually really cool wrestling. I love wrestling with all with all my heart. Mm -hmm. And I will never, especially back then, I would never have described it as cool. Right. Right, But I I loved it because it wasn't cool because it was Mm -hmm. goofy and corny. But I'm watching this going, this is actually cool. This is Mm -hmm. really cool.
0: Yep. That's exactly what got me and my friend into ECW, where we were like, well, wrestling is cool. There's music and tables are just like, they have such a special place in my heart. That's like always forever will be my favorite weapon of pro wrestling. And it all started in ECW. Deadly boys are powerbombing people through tables mm-hmm. all the time on a weekly basis. They put thumbtacks on it. Sometimes they sometimes set it on fire. I just always had like a deep touch for this and just like you said it was like they weren't insulting our intelligence they were just they were like Paulie was like trying to find ways to like appease the fans of BCW instead of being like you're just gonna take what I want from Mm. you know it's just like he's like what do you guys want what do you think will be great do you like this guy no you don't all right he's out do you like this person okay they're in you know so it was always like they really listen to the fans you know they say that they do that now but you know he
1: he listened even to the point of like you know there was a dark side to that because he was listening to like all the really it was too much the dark fantasies of wrestling Mm. fans the things that like you know the big companies would never dare to do and he was saying like you know what deep down this is what these sadistic freaks want they do I'm going to give it to them. You know, th- that I'm gonna was I'm going to have Kimono want to lay
0: a strip atop the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I'm going to appease these. I'm going to, te- he teased women being topless all the time. Like it right. was, he was like, I know there's thirsty, hungry, ravaged fans out there, ECW, just dirt bags out there. We have to appease them. They are drinking beer, they're smoking. They're just, they don't care yeah. about their lives. They care about this wrestling and they care about hardcore stuff right now.
1: Yeah. And and it was, um, you know, that that whole thing of using, you know, music to get your product over and mm-hmm. using and and letting the guys really go. That was another thing right. he did where a lot of the companies were telling guys to hold back and not yeah. do everything they could do. Strange. He was telling them to just do it all. And he also had that. He was so good at protecting people like yes like like highlighting their highlighting
0: friends. that is the that's he's number one at that as we saw in wrestling history uh it's kind of connects the two ecw and wcw together is all the people that i started to love in wcw and when it got later into 96 and 97 and 98 they all started in ecw ray mysterio and Benoit and eddie guerrero and dean malenko and Paul Heyman knew how to make those guys look like they're the number one, like each one of those wrestlers he made look like they are the number one wrestler in the world before they got him over to the WCW. WCW did a whole bunch of wild things. They took off Ray Mysterio's mask. They, you know, they, they, a lot of stuff happened, but Paul Heyman knew how to highlight his guys to make sure that they can get somewhere. I mean, it bit him in the ass a whole bunch of times when they got snatched up but he was setting them up to go to the next you know their next destination
1: well there was the whole i mean there's the story about i don't know if you ever heard about like with taz Mm -hmm. where the wwf when they finally got him Mm -hmm. and they brought him in you know i guess it was like the end of 1999 beginning of 2000 because i guess he debuted at the 2000 royal rumble yeah. You know, they Heyman had done such a great job of making him seem like like, you know what he was like for fans that watch now. He was like the Samoa Joe of that time. Definitely. Right. Wouldn't 100%. you say?
0: Yep. That's perfect way to describe him.
1: But he's not a big man. He's you know, not big. <laughs> and you didn't notice that in ECW. It didn't matter. And then no. he was such a badass and so dangerous. And also, Heyman probably even, I think, made him out to be even more of a shoot fighter than he actually was. Definitely. He had him
0: taking on UFC guys. Right. And, and, you know, actual fighters and having them beat them.
1: So it was like, well, no,
0: Taz is a badass.
1: (laughs) When he got, though, to the WWF, there was the reaction. And this is kind of why I think he got a little buried after a while, because Mm. they were like. This is the guy like, I mean, if the, you
0: see him next to the undertaker, you're like, right. Uh. They,
1: they stripped all, all the Heyman magic was gone, right? Uh-huh. Heyman's not there. Everything stripped away. He's just a guy. And without Heyman, it was almost like they had, uh, they were struggling to see what was special about him. I'm not right. saying he he's, he wasn't a great talent because he was, mm-hmm. but I think he needed that. He needed the Paul Heyman influence. A lot of those guys, right. Tommy dreamer. I mean, you know, Tommy Dreamer was somebody who, before Paul Heyman, was just a struggling guy on the mm-hmm. independent scene in the Northeast. He looked kind of like a regular guy. Actually, he yep. was wearing like suspenders. and He was a
0: regular guy, just a regular dude on the card. Yeah, he's he, <laughs>
1: he he's very nondescript looking. He just looks like a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading once that Heyman envisioned his gimmick as being like John McClane from Die Hard, right? Mm. But he but he made him into like the ultimate underdog hero of ecw and yeah, the i think baby
0: face the 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 winner the the guy in the ecw tommy dreamer was set up to be that guy and it came out of nothing you know he had feuds with raven and he had things with sandman and i think they were all those guys were like bigger stars and people that people were attracted to those guys but Paul Heyman was just so adamant about making sure that Tommy Dreamer was one of the guys. And by the end of ECW, he was, you know, the number one guy I felt like, you know, the morale was really behind him because he never went anywhere.
1: He was like the heart and soul of ECW. He he was like the one who, because again, it was, it was so organic. Like Mm -hmm. they threw him out there like fresh meat and those, those crazy fans, they wanted to hate him. Yeah. And they were dumping on him, booing him. And just like organically over time, mm-hmm. because he took everything and kept Damn. coming back, they they actually got to respect him. And he became mm-hmm. the ultimate hardcore icon that you would never right. have expected.
0: Right. Yeah, he did. And he uh, music attached to him, that uh, man in the box, Alice in Chains, very famous entrance. But if we're talking about ECW, my guy, you just did a podcast with them. My favorite ECW guy of all time, Rob Van Dam, the guy. Amazing. He did all the coolest things you could ever do in ECW. He was like, I guess, when you know, a lot of wrestlers talk about it now, he was really like kicking people, (laughs) like, he was pretty stiff in the ring, and you could tell with his offense. But I just think he, the way that he put together matches or whoever was putting together matches was so different than what was like the main event match in WCW and the main event match at WWF compared to RVD's match when he was on top were totally different things. Like, rvd was pausing in his matches going to the crowd just smiling and like Mm. you don't take breaks in a main event match we're serious here you got to go for it and no he was totally opposite he was him he had that panther pantera theme when that thing hit it was go time the whole crowd singing it along bill alfonso's there it's just like the perfect combination of guy and the things that he did he was doing flips into the crowd and Van Daminators, Van Terminators. He was the guy for me. I love RBD.
1: And he stuck around. You know, when I when I talked to him, we mentioned that about how like if ECW didn't go under, he would have mm-hmm. just stayed there forever, you know, right? He, because he was he was just happy there. He, he mm-hmm. was he was he was one of the few guys that I remember, especially in that era. It's a little different now, but in that yeah. era, he was one of the few guys that wasn't just all about money, like right. he actually enjoyed it. He mm-hmm. was he wanted to be where he would have the most fun. And even though he could have been making more money in WWF, he stayed there because he enjoyed being there more, just mm-hmm. liked it, you know.
0: Right. He was one guy that I thought WWF almost did right by. I think they could have maybe pulled the trigger when he when they did the triple threat with him, Austin and Kurt Angle. Like they could have maybe pulled the trigger because the crowd was super hot for RVD when he had when he came in, they gave him some good opportunities. And I, I don't think they played him like they play a lot of guys that came no. in and, and they knew that like he had a lot of fanfare behind him I loved when he was like the hardcore champion and he was having matches on randomly on like Sunday night heat like all that stuff was super fun Um I think they they you know he had a long-lasting career in WWF I'd, I'd probably say he think it's pretty positive besides the you know getting arrested and fired <laughs> thing you know can't win them all
1: Well, he's in good company there, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Right, but but he, you know, they didn't change him a lot. He got to be his persona.
0: He was RVD this his whole career. You know, yeah, no one really destroyed what he was.
1: He didn't, you know. I mean, like having him, they they basically let him be what uh, the person that they were interested in you know, bringing there in the first place. They didn't try and transform him. And you know what? He wouldn't have allowed that anyway, because that's the way he is. Like if they were going to turn him into, you know, I'm the janitor, you know, Mm -hmm. he would have, he would have just not gone. You know, he would have just done something else. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the reason why he was okay with going there. But, you know, like you're saying, they never totally pulled the trigger. But so he was one of those guys, I would say I would single out him, Jericho and Mm -hmm. Booker T. Mm-hmm. Who suffered the most from the Triple H that, reign right. of terror that was mm-hmm. happening where he was, you know, I think sometimes the criticism of Triple H isn't always fair. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's blamed for things like that. I don't think he's guilty of or like people act like he's, you know, like the devil or something. Right. But he did he did definitely hold some people back. There's no, when he was
0: world heavy, when he came back and he was world heavyweight champion, it was, it, it wasn't a lot of good going on. Like I loved him in 2000. I thought he had, as we, you know, have talked about the cactus Jack match. It's one of my favorite matches of all time. Uh, 2001. I thought it was good before he got hurt. And then when he came back from the injury, it just, I don't know what it was. Something changed. And then, things started kind of progressively getting worse i felt as his character and just like you said Booker T RBD, and Jericho each one of them could have been champion during any of that time and like triple h was just looming over them so hard right <laughs> right
1: right and and you know i remember at the time when i was there mm-hmm. there was a sense of at least i mean you know i don't i can't speak to the the creative team or whatever but even just among the employees and just the people that were following the product, it was like, we had just come off of, you know, the height of the attitude era and we're Mm -hmm. going like, okay, we had Austin, we had the rock, we had Austin versus McMahon. We had the ministry and the undertaker and China and all these things that were like red hot. And we're like, and now we're just stuck with just triple H beating everybody.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. It was, it started to be like, Triple H H again and and I I hate when it gets to that again point like oh this guy again here comes Triple H to bury people like it started to become a thing like it's funny how like quickly those things change like 2000 he's my favorite wrestler 2001 things are bad 2003 he's the worst he's at the bottom of my list like he took such a huge dive and just because
1: yeah
0: I, I think he just did an interview recently where he said that Vince considered him like the go to whatever whatever way he used to describe it as like, yeah, in an awful way, Hunter, like you, (laughs) things were bad, man.
1: He didn't get the thing is he 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 was great with DX. Yes, he was great when he was like at intercontinental level and just Mm -hmm. like just under the main event Mm -hmm. or like upper mid card. But he never you know i know i'm not saying anything no one's ever said before but because of the right. way things tur- turned politically for him yeah he-, he was able to get to places he never would have gotten like, like I, I don't agree. think he was never at the level of say like an austin or a rock no way and he was trying to like force it to mm-hmm. make himself be at that level because he's like i'm gonna be the
0: hill to those guys and it's like yeah maybe just let those guys go at it (laughs) because even when
1: even when they were doing austin uh like in 2000 when they Mm. were doing rock versus hunter was like the big feud yeah even then we were just like this feels like it's endless everybody
0: still wanted austin so bad triple h wasn't he wasn't filling the void of what people wanted at the
1: time at all. I in fact I think even though I I really don't like when you have especially for a WrestleMania or a really big show. I'm mm-hmm. not a big fan of triple threats or four ways like I really yeah. like having a one-on-one, one-on-one match. So I remember with WrestleMania in 2000 when it was the first time they had like a multi-person, mm-hmm. you know, main event and it was that four way with Big Show, mm-hmm. Foley, Rock and 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 Hunter. And I remember at the time, each one had a McMahon, (laughs) right? A McMahon in every corner, like who cares? But the thing was like, uh, uh, who's got Linda? Like, you know, but, but the, you know, at the time I was really not feeling, and I had just started working there and I, Mm -hmm. and I'm going, why don't they just now at the time I'm going, why don't they just do rock versus triple H? Like yeah. that's the match. That was a match. And now I look back on it. And even though I think it probably, I think it would have been better if they did that, but mm-hmm. I think they didn't do it for that exact reason that they just didn't have confidence right. that he could, they didn't that, have
0: confidence in triple
1: H. Yeah, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't even like, personally, I think like, they just they didn't have confidence in the match. It just right. wasn't. It didn't feel like it was a big enough. Star they were power. like, "We
0: don't have Austin. Like, how right. do we can't fill this void with just one person? We need all kinds of stuff to right. fill
1: this void." And also because Triple H won that match, so you have yeah. WrestleMania winning with the heel going over, which was uh, very rare in those days. Uh, and it
0: wasn't the only time he did that. Where yeah, he did that way too. And I, and that that put a big stink on it too because. At that time, as every wrestling fan in the world was, the latter matches, Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, Dudley Boys, what they were doing, they were blowing the main events away. Anytime it got to the main events, it was like, this show's over. Did you see what the Hardy Boys did? And that I feel like Triple H suffered a lot of that. Like Jeff Hardy didn't care that he wasn't in the main event, he was going to do something crazy every match. So when it got to Triple H, like say the match with Jericho that they sadly put after the rocket Hogan for some odd reason. Like, it's like he just kept encountering things like that. And it's unfortunate for him. And that,
1: (laughs) that is, is a great example because Mm -hmm. again, I was there and that was the attitude. It was like, what are we doing? Why Why would you
0: put anything after this match? You're insane. (laughs) That's Hogan, dude. It's Hogan, Toronto, the rock. Come on, man. What are you guys thinking?
1: Even if they didn't see it coming, that the crowd would, Turn Hogan, which I did think they saw coming, but even mm-hmm. if they didn't see it coming, just the fact that it's Rock versus Hogan, it's mm-hmm. Toronto Sky Dome, that's your main event. Come and, on, and I could just almost picture like Triple H, you know, backstage like lobbying, like mm-hmm. wearing just wearing Vince down. I'm the champion. I have to be right. there. I'm
0: the champ. It has to be last. <laughs> and, and the
1: thing, and that was so, I don't know, the whole build up with Booker T. Uh,
0: oh, God, the
1: worst, because you know what my thing is, you know, I, I I'm i not saying that it was that it would have worked, but I think it wouldn't have been as bad if Booker actually won the that damn is,
0: match. That's the general consensus. That's why we're still mad about it to this day. The promo was awful the resolution is booker t goes over to make the promo all right but they did they didn't do
1: that right right (laughs) and and you know it's hard to do an angle like that you know especially in the 21st century but like what like how
0: demoralized am i like this guy they told
1: this guy he's not as good and then he showed him he's not as good what (laughs) because what triple h had coming as a character in that match was not even just losing like if, mm-hmm. if if it wasn't for his ego like what needed to happen was just total humiliation yes L- like ritualistic humiliation
0: like like something comes from the sky and drops on like right. he needs to be silly he needs to have his pants pulled down and he falls <laughs> right. like yes. something needs to happen not just you beat him
1: that would have made it somewhat worthwhile where you go like all right now I get it But by doing that, by having Triple H win after all that is... um,
0: Sourest taste in my mouth. It took a long time for... It took till he got to NXT and started bringing in all my favorite PWG guys to be like, all right, maybe he's not so bad. But for a long time, it was like, this guy, man.
1: Yeah, he did rehabilitate his image a little bit where, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember thinking, like, you know, of course, it's out the window now. But I remember Mm -hmm. thinking, like... You know, I think he'll actually do a pretty good job when he's running this company. Like, I think it'll be mm-hmm. better than Vince. I think he I kind thought
0: of, that for a while too. Yeah, he gets <laughs>
1: what fans want, and mm-hmm. um, well, we'll never get to see that now. Yeah, we're but,
0: never gonna. That's not gonna happen now. That's just out the window. So there's yeah. that.
1: All right. So now we didn't even get to the NWO. Right? So mm-hmm. this means there's <laughs> definitely gonna have to be a part two. Definitely. Uh, but before we we finish it up, though, I just want to give you a chance to. To, to just let people listening know where they can find you again, and just the mm-hmm. best places to find what you're doing, and you know what you're working on right now.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, every Saturday at nine a.m. for me, twelve Pacific or twelve Eastern is City Podcast. We're on Fightful Network. I write for a magazine called Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Each month, I have an article called The Righteous Wrap Up. Other great articles. Uh, I just did an article on Swerve. Really important one on ACH very recently. Um, some things on GCW. There's a lot of cool things going on, as Brian will tell you, in PWI. We are all doing something super cool and something different. It's a great magazine. You should go pick it up, sus- subscribe to it. Uh, Righteousreg.bandcamp.com. I just started writing articles for WrestleTalk. Uh, so, yeah, I did right. an article recently. Uh, two articles came out last week. Uh, top five dream opponents for Swerve and keith lee one of them was top flight sad enough so you know prayers to dante martin darius martin sorry prayers yeah. to of darius martin for things that happen and the other article was what RO what tony khan and AEW can do to utilize roh championships add a little bit of stakes to to the television show so yeah Russell talk grapsity righteous righteous reg it's me
1: there you go. And and while you were saying that I'm thinking and I made CM Punk
0: cry. I always have to mention that oh, I made CM Punk cry at a Right.
1: Of you got to you got to people have to look that up that the video mm-hmm. of that from the from one of the one of the uh AEW um uh press uh conference things Yeah, cuz that's that on did. my
0: resume now, Brian. It's just like yes. I made CM Punk cry at the presser. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's so perfect. But <laughs> but I was thinking, all right, so not only did we not get to the nwo i was planning mm-hmm. to and i didn't get a chance to i wanted to talk about the fact that you picked uh when you did the 500 all-time 500 black wrestler mm-hmm. list not just the annual but the whole oh, time yeah. how did we you, not right no no about. but we'll get to it no but specifically that you picked not that i that i disagree but i just found it fascinating that you picked Two Cold Scorpio mm-hmm. as the number one, basically the number one black pro wrestler of all time. Of
0: all time, and man. I
1: wanted to like get into your thinking on that because I could, you know, I, I wanted to break that down, but yeah, it's, it's got to wait. I can't. We'll 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 save. We, it. We
0: talked about ECW and didn't talk about Two Cold Scorpio. Look at me. That man. was
1: gonna be my segue. I was gonna be like, mm-hmm. oh, you know who else was in ECW? <laughs> Mm -hmm. too cold Scorpio you're you're all time number one we got Um, off
0: on some tangents here it's all good
1: we'll do it no you know that's okay yeah we had to talk Mm -hmm. about you know Vince you knew it had to get in there somewhere Ah,
0: here he comes again Uh, every time
1: right but we will we're gonna do we're gonna do a part two Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that other great stuff but in the meantime thank you so much I really appreciate you uh making the time to do this and and talk on here so much fun
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. This is super fun. I can talk about 90s wrestling legit all day.
1: (laughs) Couldn't we all really? (laughs) There you have it, folks. My pro wrestling illustrated colleague, Righteous Reg. I hope you enjoyed that trip down memory lane of 1990s wrestling, the wrestling that I partly grew up on. And I'm sure many of you listening did as well. Um, And you know what? We've got some other great guests coming up on Shut Up and Wrestle in the weeks to come. I've got a big announcement for next week's guest. You guys are going to love this because it is a true legend of 1980s wrestling and of the territorial era of wrestling, especially Jim Crockett promotions. That's because my guest is going to be none other than the raging bull Manny Fernandez. That's right. Manny Fernandez is going to be on next week on Shut Up and Wrestle. You do not want to miss this one. Some other great guests we've got in the weeks to come. I've been mentioning this and I've been saving it, uh, but it is Brian Greenberg. We've got him and he is the the co-director. He was the co-director of I Like to Hurt People, the Detroit wrestling mockumentary legendary uh, from the 70s. And he's going to be coming up as well as the editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Kevin McIlvaney, is coming up as a guest on Shut Up and Wrestle. And you know what? There are a couple more that I have in the works, and I don't want to say anything just yet until it's completely firmed up, but lots of guests coming, so keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. And I want to say, you know, I want to kind of remind you of the different ways that you can find Shut Up and Wrestle. Of course, there's our website, suawpod.com. You can also find it on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict. Wherever you find your podcasts, you will find "Shut Up and Wrestle." And there's other stuff from me that you can find if you're if you're looking and you have some free time. Of course, I've been mentioning the book "Blood and Fire," the unbelievable real life story of wrestling's original sheik. And I'm excited to say that uh, physical copies are now available from BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, Last time I checked, they were not available yet from Amazon, but they are on BarnesandNoble.com. Of course, you can also get the digital Kindle edition from Barnes and Noble or Amazon or lots of online retailers if that's what you're looking for. Um, Also, want to mention, as I did last week, that Shut Up and Wrestle now has a Facebook group, so you can join the Facebook group for Shut Up and Wrestle and talk about the show, talk about the guests. Um, I'm sharing content related to the show on there. so it's it's fun for all involved if you want to if you want to join in on the conversation. Also, of course, if you want to find me on social media, uh, you can get me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also uh, find my Facebook uh, page, which is Brian Solomon Writer. And all of those pages, will also contain links to my author webpage where you can find out what I've been up to and what I've got on the horizon. So as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon, asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. And inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. So long wrestling fans.